Soul of the Parsha with Rabbi Nir Menusi. This class is made possible by our kind supporters over at Patreon. Thank you and enjoy the class. Shalom everyone and welcome to our new weekly Soul of the Parsha class. Every week we delve into the Parsha. Specifically this year we're focusing on the opening passages, the opening Aliyah, the opening segment of each Parsha. And we're looking at the very first verses usually and trying to glean uh, a certain insight, a certain idea to, you know, where it's like diving into the ocean of the Torah in order to find pearls. We're looking for pearls in the Torah. Pearls are hard to find, they're hard to come by. Even when you find them, they're hidden in an, in an oyster. So you have to be a little bit of a detective, a little bit of a diver, a little bit of, a, of all kinds of things in order to find these little gems and, and pearls. And this week, we are going into the parasha called Ki Tetze. Ki Tetze means when you go out. It's about going out, going out into the world. And our topic, the subject, the, the headline for today is called The Battle for the Soul. The topic, ostensibly on the surface, is about a topic of wars, battles. Uh, but on a deeper level, we're talking about spiritual battles, confrontations that we have in our lifetimes, in, in the world, encounters with difficulties, with things that are outside of our comfort zone, of our realm of, of what we are familiar with. And this is why it's all about coming out, kititze, coming out of our comfort zone and confronting and dealing with things that are hard and difficult but also finding the holy sparks that are waiting for us there, they're waiting to be found by us. There's a very basic concept in Kabbalah and Hasidut, in the esoteric wisdom of Judaism, and we're going to see this reflected in a very, very beautiful way in the opening of this parasha. The topic isn't a very simple one to tackle when you just look at it, but if you go in, uh, there's really treasures to be found there. So I'm going to start by reading the first five verses of this parasha. I'm going to, I usually read them in Hebrew first, I'm going to skip this now, I'm just going to read them directly in English, and then we'll try and explore this on several levels. So, it starts like this. If you go out to war, this is the beginning of the parsha. if you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God will deliver him into your hands, so we're talking about going out to wage war and being victorious and you take his captives so as often happens in wars you go out to war you you win and when you win you take some captives so this is the first verse second verse and you see among the captives a beautiful woman this is the first topic the parsha talks about is about a beautiful female captive this is the literal pshat meaning we're going to go into deeper higher, more spiritual meanings. But we have to start with the, with the simple level meaning. So among the captives you see a beautiful woman and you desire her. So another topic that comes into play here is the desire. In Hebrew it's cheshek. Cheshek is desire. It has, has to do with the yetzel, the urge, the inclination to life, which is also called because it can, it can be used. It's, it's often used in a negative way. In destructive ways, it's called Yetzirah, the evil inclination. So you have a cheshek, you desire this woman, and then the Torah says something surprising, surprising because it doesn't seem in line with the general spirit of the Torah, but as we'll see in a minute, 
uh, it really is in line with the Spirit. But it's surprising when you first look at it. The verse says, you may take her for yourself as a wife. So the Torah says that when you were going out to war, and, and uh, the soldier sees a beautiful woman among the captives, he may take her to be his wife. But now, this is when it gets surprising. Verse 3 of the Parsha. You shall bring her into your home, and she shall shave her head and let her nails grow. So you don't take her immediately. All over the world, in wars and battles, it was that's the way of the world, is that soldiers would take women from their, their enemies, from their captives, and they would take them immediately, and basically they would rape them. That's what, would happen. That's what happens in wars. So here you can take her, but you don't actualize this marriage, or you don't really enjoy her, or you don't take her physically. You have to wait for a whole month, as we'll see. And she needs to shave her head and let her nails grow, which obviously makes her far less appealing. And she shall remove the garment of her captivity from upon herself, which means the garment that she wore when she was taken captive, and stay in your house and weep for her father and her mother for a full month. So you take her home, and for a whole month she's left to her own to her own place, and she has to weep and mourn her father and her mother whom she lost for a full month. And only then, after that, you may be intimate with her and possess her. And she will be a wife for you. Now clearly, any an initial, instantaneous, on-the-spot kind of urge has totally passed by now. So you have to, after a full month of this, you still want her as a wife, you may take her, but... And then we're moving to verse 5. And it will be, should it be, if you do not desire her after this month, then you shall send her away wherever she wishes. But you shall not sell her for money. That's also very surprising. We would think that now she's my slave, I can sell her. No, you can't sell her. If you, either you marry her or you let her completely go. You shall not keep her as a servant because you have afflicted her. You have afflicted her, you have hurt her, you have taken her captive. And so there's really two options. You can either take her, but only after a month, or you can release her, and she's not your slave, she can't be your slave, and you can't sell her off as a slave either, which again was customary in the, in the ancient world. So we're going to explore this now on three levels. The first level is the really shot level, that is the literal meaning of what, what's this whole story about, how can we understand this in a Torah context. Then we'll move into two deeper levels. One is the Kabbalistic level, and the, the other is the Hasidic level. Hasidut and Kabbalah are two levels of, explo of exploring the inner dimension of the Torah, the inner levels of the Torah. Kabbalah is the esoteric level. There are many levels before Kabbalah. But when we get to the esoteric level, this is called Kabbalah. And then Hasidut is, is further exploring the esoteric level, but translating it into the level of our own souls, something much more psychological, not so much mystical, more psychological. So we have a literal meaning, a mystical meaning, and a psychological meaning. That's basically what we want to explore. So we start with the literal meaning. So how can we understand this? Why should the Torah allow this soldier in the war to take this woman captive and to possibly marry her and go through this whole thing? So the, the sages, Chazal, say something very, very, very deep 
which is then reiterated by Rashi, the main commentator. Rashi says, again, following Chazal, the sages, he says about the verse, and you shall take her as a wife, Lo Torah In English, the Torah here is only referring, is only addressing the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. What does it mean that the Torah is addressing the evil inclination? He means really that the Torah is trying to sort of play or dance with the evil inclination. It's, it's talking to the evil inclination. Usually the Torah talks to our good inclination. It talks to our heads, to our consciousness, to our choosing selves. And the choosing self, our part, the part of us that chooses, is not the evil inclination. That's the part we want to choose against. But here the Torah is talking to, directly to the evil inclination. What's, what's the idea? So Rashi continues, the Torah knows, the Kodesh Baruch Hu, the God knows, that if there will be no permission to marry this beautiful woman that the soldier in the midst of the war, the battle, sees, there will be no avenue, no way, no prospect of him taking her at some point in the future, he's going to take her then and there in a way that's not permissible. He's going to take her in a way that's in violation of the Torah. So the Torah is doing something very sophisticated. The Torah is saying, okay, I understand that you have an evil inclination. I understand that you have a desire. All, in, in all walks of life, in all situations in life, you have this. But a soldier in war has it even more acutely. Why? Because when a soldier fights a war, he, in many ways, is letting his evil inclination loose. He needs to be a little bit animalistic. He needs to fight. He needs to be violent. In a war, there's, of course, there's morality in wartime. And, of course, there are, there are boundaries. But generally speaking, when one is fighting, one is very much connected to one's animal drives, instincts. You're in a state of survival, you're in a state of warfare. It's almost like becoming an animal in the jungle again. And so in this situation, the evil inclination, the sexual desire, it's the, the, once you, you tap into the animalistic level, it's not just the, the instincts of fighting or fleeing or attacking. It's also the, the sexual urges are also awakened. So the Torah is saying something very deep. The Torah is saying, we do not want to completely ignore or repress your desires. We want to give them some room. So we're telling you that you, you see this woman. So again, if the Torah would have said, you mustn't ever touch her, this would be too much to take for a soldier in wars in such a situation. So he would say, this is over my head. This is, I'm a, come on, I'm a soldier in a war. This is part of what everyone does. And he will not be able to contain himself. This is a very, this is a very special, unique case in the Torah. The Torah doesn't usually work like this. But it does work like this in a situation of war. It's saying, if, we would, if the Torah would prohibit this completely, he would just go ahead and do it in a much worse way. So we're going to uh, give some room to the in inclination, to the yetzel. We're going to say, okay, you want her, you can have her in a month's time. 
so he can take her, take her home. By the time he takes her home and a month passes, he has completely cooled down, cooled off. Chances are he will not want her anyway. He will just release her. Almost 99% sure. In fact, the way Rashi, the commentator, goes into this, he says, by looking at adjacent verses, looking at the next verses, next verses, after those five verses, talks about something ostensibly different. The Torah talks about uh, someone having two wives and loving one wife and hating the other wife. So Rashi says, why, does, why is this topic connected to the first topic? It's like a completely different topic. He says, no, it's not a different topic. The, the fact that you put them together means that if, you, if he would marry this woman that he took captive, he will end up hating her. She will be the hated wife. By the way, what is topic number three of the parasha? First topic is the beautiful captive. Second topic is the two wives, one is hated. Third topic is having a rebellious son. On the surface, completely different topics. Rashi says, no, no, the Torah is, hint, is alluding, is teaching us a lesson. The Torah is telling us, if you marry that woman you took captive, then you will end up hating her, that's the second topic, and, and, you, and you will have a rebellious son from her. So the Torah is really saying, we don't want you to marry that woman. But, we're, but we know, the Torah knows, that if, if it will be completely prohibited, the soldier will do it. So the Torah tells him, it gives him some place of uh, like a little bit of a validation, a little bit of an affirmation to the yetzel, to the inclination. And when you say someone, I understand that you have this inclination, it's normal to have it. You don't have, you're not a freak for having it. There's a much better chance of it passing and you, of the person not following it. So that's what happens here. The Torah says, you will have this desire and you can take her, and yet then you have to wait this whole month, and she has to be shave her head and all these things. And really, the goal is that you don't that you don't want her, and you release her, and that's the that's the best come. And if you do want to marry, you marry her. But again, the whole point is, according to this interpretation, is that you're not going to marry her. It's just that you're told that you can marry her, so that you it gives you a way of postponing your gratification and then letting go of your gratification. So that's very interesting in and of itself. This really connects to a Midrash, a story in the Talmud, that says that one day uh, the, the, the rabbis, they were able to capture the evil inclination. It's like the evil inclination is some, is some fantastical animal wandering the world, and they were able to capture it and put it in a cage. But then something un, uh, unexpected happened. The next day, the next morning, People were getting ready for breakfast, and they wanted to go to the to their yard, you know, and take some eggs from the chickens. And they couldn't find all over the world. They couldn't find a single egg. No eggs were 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 laid. Why? Because without even inclination, there's no procreation. There's no fertility. There's no not having an egg. Everyone is going to to die and starve to death, and and no babies will be born. So then they realized you can't get rid of, of course, this is all a very, there's a message. The message is you can't get rid of the evil inclination. It's also a message against religions that support uh, total renunciation of physical desires and, you know, uh, physical living, you know, of marrying and having children. Many religions, both West and East, say that the really holy person is someone who who abnegates, you know, all physical desires and 
and it doesn't marry. And here they're really saying it's impossible. You can't get rid of the evil inclination. You shouldn't. The end of the story is that they they uh, uh, they they strike the evil inclination. They give him like a little blow, and they're able to damage him just a little bit. And what what happens is is that they're able to get rid of sexual desire between siblings. So siblings don't aren't attracted to one another if they grow up together at least. And uh, so that's the only thing they could get out of it. But the rest of the desire, they 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 let the evil inclination go, because this is because th- th- that is the way you have to go about it. It's not something you kill. It's not something you repress. It's not something you castrate. It's something you accept, and then you work on it. So that's really the story here. The story is, if we were to demand something impossible from a soldier in a war, soldier in a war has to connect to his animal soul, and that means having that kind of desire also, and that means we have to give room for this desire. So this is the simple level. If you want to understand the Torah on this level, and you want to say, how can the Torah allow a soldier to take the woman captive? then the message is very, very deep and, and very profound. And the message is, we don't want you to take her, and we don't want you to marry her. As Rashi makes clear, it makes it clear. But the, the Torah is just being realistic and, and sophisticated, and is saying, we're going to uh, tell you that you will be able to have her later on, so that you can able, you'll be able to rise above your inclination and your sexual drive. And then not follow it. This is really the, the 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 proper understanding of this whole concept in according to commentary. Now we want, you know, our classes are not just pshat. We're not just the, it's not just the literal, literal meaning. We want to go always into the inner dimension of the Torah, the deeper level of the Torah. And here we're going to go into two levels. So the first level, as I said, is the kabbalistic or mystical level. Here. Of course, we're moving a totally different language and atmosphere and, and, you know, concept space and language. Everything is, becomes a metaphor in Kabbalah. And, and every verse, every idea in the Torah is a metaphor for something spiritual and deeper. So here, the beautiful woman held captive among the nations becomes divine and holy sparks that are outside of the realm of the Torah. The realm of the Torah is the realm of holiness, the realm of sanctity. In the realm of the Torah, everything is holy. But then there's all the many, many realms of the world that are outside of the boundaries of holiness. That's almost everything. And although it is a, a realm of, of something secular or something profane or something that's not holy, everything, that's one of the most basic tenets of Kabbalah, Everything has a holy spark within it. The beautiful woman, which is among the nations, and that as you're coming out to do war on the outside of your sphere, coming out, is the, all of the holy sparks, very beautiful sparks, and they're, in a way you can say, feminine in nature. The world is more masculine in nature, the outside of the world. But on the inside, you have these kind of female or female-likened holy sparks that are hidden. Just like the pearls that I mentioned, as I said in the beginning, we're diving into the Torah, we're looking for pearls. 
So that's pearls within the Torah. But there's also pearls in the ocean outside of the Torah. Rashi also makes it clear that the kind of war the Torah is talking about is not a war that you're commanded to do, but it is a war that is permissible. There are two kinds of wars in the Torah. There's a war that you're obligated to do, like when the Jewish people came to conquer the land of Israel, that was a commanded battle or war. There's also a a voluntary war, or a war that's something that you choose to do. And Rashi is stressing that here we're talking about a voluntary war, a war that is going into the realm of the permissible. There's the realm of what is not permissible, what is asul, what is forbidden, that is very that is unholy. Then it, that's the realm of everything you're obligated to do. That is the realm of the holy. In between, what you have to do and what you mustn't do is a whole expanse of things you may or may not do. That's up to you. The realm of the permissible. So in Kabbalah, we're talking about coming out to war that is coming out of the realm of holiness going out into the realm of the permissible, and then what is the war? The war is, am I doing what I'm doing, like work, like art, like relationships uh, that are not, for example, with your spouse, or even with your spouse. Everything that is outside of the realm of holiness, that you're going out into the world, your activities and your interests and your hobbies, eating, drinking, meeting people, doing things in the world, traveling, all of this realm, there's a war going on, an inner war within you. The war is, how are you using, how are you approaching this realm of the permissible? Is it because you want to just, you know, disappear in it and, and just have, have a good time and enjoy yourself and forget about, about your soul and about holiness? That's uh, missing out on what on the opportunity. The real opportunity is going into this realm and looking for the holy sparks. Looking for the holy sparks is looking for little elements and concepts and insights and ideas that can reconnect you to God and reconnect you to your soul. So now, the, the, now look at how the Kabbalah is reading the verses. When we, when the the very first verse said that you go out into this war and and you, and God delivers the enemy into your hands and you take his captives, if you read the Hebrew, the Hebrew says it doesn't say take his captives, it says veshavita shivyo, you take captive his captives, or you captivate his captives. There's a double repetition of the expression captive. So the Kabbalah interpretations go this way. They say, how can it be that you're taking the captive captive? You're just taking someone captive. That's it. So the, the, the Kabbalistic reading sort of looks at it in another way and says, you are reclaiming something that was already taken captive from you in the first place. Meaning, the beautiful woman... Well, let's go for the let's go a little bit back to the literal meaning from a kabbalistic perspective. Suppose someone goes out to war and takes this woman captive and bring her home. According to Kabbalah, this means that in a way she was destined to become part of the Jewish people to begin with, and she was like a Jewish soul to begin with. That's how Kabbalah explains all converts. 
whenever a non-Jew converts into Judaism, the explanation is that he was, he or she were a Jewish soul to begin with. They were a Jewish soul that were that was planted or came down into the world, into a non-Jewish world. And now it's really not converting or changing their their people and their religion. It's, it's, it's going back to where they really belong. They were Jews all along. So the idea is that the, this beautiful woman is already a Jewish soul, or in this case, a holy spark that is part of holiness. It's part of the realm of holiness. We said that we're beginning in the realm of holiness, and coming out into the realm of the permissible, and then we find a holy spark. But the idea is that the holy spark be- belongs and has, has always belonged to the realm of holiness. And it needs to be returned. So you take the captive captive. It's already a captive. The Holy Spark has been taken captive by the world. So let's give it just a simple example. You, with you, you study Torah, but you don't just study Torah all day. Sometimes you read some other books, or you watch movies, or you meet people, or you, or you, take a, you, you go for a, a walk, or you go for a, to take a trip somewhere. And then, in that realm of the permissible, you stumble upon a very beautiful, holy idea, or thought, or concept, or insight. And you didn't find it in the Torah, you found it outside of the Torah. But if it's really a holy spark, it, it, it's, a, it's a lost spark from the Torah, from holiness, from God's Word. So it was taken captive before you met it, you saw it, you encountered it, before you heard about it. It's like a lost spark. It got lost. And it was taken captive by the external shells of this world. So when you're reclaiming it, when you're elevating it, and reconnecting it to the realm of serving God, of being connected to God, you're taking the captive back. You're taking captive the captive, right? This is the idea. Very beautiful reading of these two words, Veshavita Shivyo. It's really Lehashiv, to return. You're taking back something that was spiritual taken away from the realm of holiness to begin with. So this is the Kabbalistic understanding. Kabbalistic understanding is that we're going out from the realm of holiness to the realm of the permissible. We're finding all kinds of holy sparks. And then we recognize them for what they are. Torah concepts, Torah ideas. By the way, every time you have someone who grew up outside of Orthodox Judaism, outside of Torah observance, outside of living a holy life, and then they discover Judaism, and they, if they're a Jew, it's called doing tshuva, right? returning to Judaism. And if they're a non-Jew, it means converting. Whenever something like this happens, these people... That's my story. I grew up outside of the Torah world. They take with them a lot of holy sparks from where they came from. It could be the uh, art form that they practiced. It could be the books that they read, the experiences that they had. They're taking with them a lot of holy sparks and bringing them back into the, into the fold of holiness. So in a way, they were like soldiers who were stationed outside of, of, of holiness, outside of Torah, and then they found a lot of beautiful women, beautiful sparks. And then they took them and elevated them, and they bring them into the realm of holiness. So according to Kabbalah, the, the reason the Torah permits, or the deeper level 
of the idea that the Torah permits the soldier to take this uh, beautiful woman is really saying, the reason you're going out to wars, the reason you're going out, kitetse, to wars on the outside world is in order to find those sparks and bring them home. And then let's look at some more details here uh, that are within the verses. The first little detail that is now, we can understand it anew, is that the way it's phrased in the beginning, it says, If you go out to war on your enemies. This is surprising. It should have said, if you go out to war against your enemies. But the Hebrew says, if you go out to war on your enemies. So the Kabbalistic, there's also a little bit of Hasidut I'm bringing into the Kabbalistic interpretation. But the idea is that when you go out to find, to be on the lookout for holy sparks, you can't be too much mixed and confused with your enemies or with the, with the outside world, with the, worlds of, uh, with the world of exterior shells. You need to be above it. If you go out to war, you need to be on or above your enemy. You can't recognize a spark from a shell. You can't differentiate if you're not above it, which means you have to be deeply connected to your soul root, deeply connected, rooted in holiness, with a, steeped in a lot of Torah, in a lot of uh, Torah wisdom, and then you're above your enemy, and then you're able to recognize the spark and differentiate it from the external shells, that is all the unimportant aspects, the aspects that are not holy, that are not divine, that are just just the out, the outward surface of things. If you read a book, and you're totally, I mean a secular book, and you're totally wrapped up in the plot and the story and the excitement, you can't differentiate what's holy and what's not holy. You have to be above the book, above the experience, above the situation, and connected to, to your holy soul root, and then you can immediately see, differentiate the external clutter and baggage and the outside that's unimportant and what is truly an eternal holy spark that you need to elevate. So you need to be above. That's the first little detail. Afterwards, what happens to that beautiful woman or spark that you take? Then they, they go to your home and then they do three things. They shave their head, they let they let their nails grow longer, or it could also be read that they clip their nails. You can be read it in two ways. Uh, so here we're going to go with their clipping your nails uh, interpretation. So she, it's called in Hebrew. It just says she does her nails. So it can be read in several ways. So there's shaving of the head, the clipping of the nails, and the removal of the garment. And then she goes into your home. What are the three elements? So in Kabbalah, that means that when you take a holy spark from a book or a movie or, or an experience or uh, something that you found outside of the Torah realm, could be in philosophy, in art, or just some conversation you had with someone interesting, and you're, you're, you're asking, what's the takeaway? What's the spark that I want to take away with me? Then you, in order to convert that spark, so to speak, or elevate it, or bring it back into holiness, you need to do three things. You need to shave the head. That means uh, 
removing it from its conceptual original context that was unholy. That's a more intellectual level. The Shaving the head is like the intellectual level, and you're shaving, cutting off the, again, the external baggage, the clutter, what's not important. So this is the intellectual level of clarifying, of finding the root. The second level, the clipping of the nails, nails are just like hair. Something grows out of your body, but you can need to remove it. This is doing the same thing on the level of the body, not the head, which means the level of the emotions. So first there's an intellectual kind of conversion process, there's an, an emotional conversion process. That you need to remove again everything that's external, that's outside, that's also, you know, a nail is something you scratch, it's something a bit animalistic. Animals, you know, don't shave and they don't cut off their nails. But we do we can do it to the animals, we can do it to the animal soul, we can do it to this holy spark. And then there's also removing the garments. These are levels of, of, of each soul. Each soul is an intellectual level and then an emotional level. And then in Hasidut it's called the level of the garments of the soul. Everything that it's wrapped up in. So only then do you really find the spark. And then you take it into your home. This is the, how the verses go. There's the shaving and the clipping and the removal of the, of the garments. And then you bring her into your home. Now, final detail. She has to weep for a whole month. The, comes the Ari, the greatest Kabbalist, 16th century, and says, what does it mean that to cry for a whole month? When do we cry for a whole month? So amazingly, it's in the month that Kitetse is read in every year. It's the month of Elul. The Ari says that the month of weeping of this, whole, this, this uh, beautiful woman it's really you weeping, doing tshuva, doing the work of returning to God, of, of reconnecting with your soul root. This is Elul, the, 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 the work of tshuva. So you do this, and then you're really able to marry this spark, or that is, unite with this spark. So throughout the year, you need to find those sparks and and sort of clean them and wash them and, 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 you know, take them out of the original context. This is true for every idea, for example, you find, again, like in philosophy or art, that you appreciate, you enjoy, and you say, well, there must be a holy spark to this. I want to connect this to the Torah. I'm doing this in my classes many times, that I'm taking a concept from a science fiction story or from whatever, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm saying, well, let's find the holy spark in this. So this, you need, you need to, you know, find examples like this of, of you know, Hasidic rabbis taking an, a concept that's outside of Judaism and reconnecting it to its, to its uh, a holy root. And that means, like, that's like shaving and clipping the nails and removing the garments. And then you have to do a lot of tshuva, a lot of weeping, of praying that you find the deeper meaning of this, and then you're able to reunite with this. So all this is the second mystical, Kabbalistic level. Now we get to the final level, the Hasidic or psychological level. Here this becomes even more interesting and more, uh, more on the inside of us, more of an inner work type of interpretation. We're not just talking about sparks, you know, sparks of truth or sparks of divinity. We're talking about something that, that is within us. 
Here the holy, the sorry, the beautiful woman becomes a piece of your own soul that is outside of you. Our soul, we think, is, is within us, and our soul is indeed within us. But there are elements of our souls that we will never find through introspection or just living a holy life and, you know, shunning the world and being closed up from the world. People think if they go to some uh, ashram or monastery or some retreat and then they go deeply into prayer or meditation, that they're going to find their soul root. But according to this idea, this beautiful woman is yourself. It's a hidden part of yourself. It's like the lost princess of Rabbi Nachman's famous story. Rabbi Nachman is a story about a lost princess. This is the Shekhinah, it's also your own soul. It is outside of you, and you need to go out of yourself, go out of your way, go out of your comfort zone, go out of your familiar realm. And that means confronting the world on the outside. This is a world of battle, of confrontation, of hardship. But if you go through with this, and you don't run away from life's difficulties, you may find, as a captive in the outside world, beneath its external shells, your own hidden lost self. Not just a part of yourself, but the highest part of yourself. The, the soul has many levels. And I'm, I'm going to say something very, very deep and very, very, very big, very big topic. I'm going to say it very concisely. But the, the levels of the soul are connected to two major levels. The lower level is the conscious level. It's a few levels. But there's a conscious level of what you can experience and appreciate, and this you can find through introspection, because they're conscious. But then there are the super-conscious levels. They're beyond your own grasp. And in incredibly and beautifully, you reconnect with those levels only when you come out of yourself and you confront reality and its hardships and difficulties and battles. And the external battle is really a battle for your own soul. When you, when you confront something that's hard and that's antagonistic for you, and you win, you don't lose the, the sense of who you are, you're connected to who you are, and you win, and which means you choose your higher self, and you, and you choose good, you choose wisely, and you're victorious. This awakens and reconnects you to the higher superconscious levels of your own soul. They were, so to speak, outside of you, and you were, you were only able to reconnect with them. You know, people find it very hard that life isn't easy. Life isn't easy for any of us. And then people ask, why am I going through this hardship? And the reason is that every hardship you encounter means there's another level, a higher level, of who you are, of who you may be, come, that is waiting for you beyond this hardship. This is like the beautiful woman who's really your own soul, who's taken captive by this enemy, and if you win the battle, you take her back, and which is really, again, your, your own self. Now, I'm going to say I'm going to risk and go into an even higher level of this. 
the superconscious level is, is divided into two levels. There's a higher superconscious level that's closer, and then there's an even higher level. That's, that it is really the ultimate root of your soul. They're called in Hebrew the Chaya and the Yechida. The Chaya means the living one. That's the first lower level of the superconscious. And then there's an even higher level, the Yechida, the single one. That's the really ultimate root of your being. So now, why am I saying all this? Why am I going into this? Because the idea is the following. So we're going out to war. We're confronting the hardships. We have to be above the enemy. That is, we have to be connected as much as we can to our true essence and being, to the world of holiness, steeped in Torah, very much connected to our, to our true being and essence. And then we can find the spark, and here the spark becomes our own superconscious or higher levels of the soul. And then we're, we reclaim them and take them back. But now the Hasidic idea goes the following. It's just the first level. It's just the level of the Chaya, of the living one. Chaya is very much connected to, and it's very, it has to do with joy and beauty. That's why it's a beautiful woman. But we take this woman, which is really our own self, and it's, it's a joyous event. It's a joyous, you know, thing that happens, a wonderful thing. I feel that I rediscovered myself. I confronted a hardship, and I won. I, I, I coped, and I grew. I, I, I'm, I'm now a little bit higher. I, 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 I'm connecting. I've connected more to a higher level of who I am. But interestingly, this higher level of who I am is weeping. She's weeping for her father and her mother. So this is a joyous event. So why is my soul still weeping? So my soul is still weeping because my soul knows that although I've gained much, there's infinitely more to gain. There are more battles to win. There are more levels of myself to... There's an endless levels of, of growth. So this is something very deep. Whenever you encounter a difficulty and you confront it and you go beyond it and you win and you grow, there's joy mixed with sadness. Why? Because the joy is that you've, you've grown and the sadness is that you know that there's still more to grow. And, there, and that means there are more hardships ahead of you. But, it, but it, it goes along with the joy. It's together. It goes together. You're joyous because you've, you, you're connected to a level of yourself. But there's also a weeping. A very good, it's a, by the way, it's not a bad weeping. It's a positive weeping. It's a longing for even higher levels of your own soul. This is like the father and mother of the beautiful woman. That's a higher level of where she's coming from. She's coming from an even higher level of who you may be, an even better version of yourself that's waiting for you in your future. And, and therefore, that's why she's weeping. So now, we'll, this is reflected in a beautiful, beautiful gematria. If you take those two words that I used, referring to those two levels, Chaya, which is the, the closer level, and Yechida, which is the higher level. And of course, it's not, it's not really two levels. 
the two levels here reflect the fact that there's what you gain and what you still haven't gained. And of course, it's infinite. Whenever you gain a level, that's your chaya. And whenever and the, the level that's still above it, that's beyond your grasp, that's the yechida. So if you take these two words, chaya and yechida, the living one and the single one, chaya equals chedva, which means joy. This is the beautiful woman. That's why it's joyous. She's beautiful. And that's what you can gain, the, the closer level. And yechida equals b'chiya, which means weeping. The higher level equals b'chiya, weeping. So chaya and yechida have the same numerical value as chedva and b'chiya, joy and weeping. So this is the, the most profound explanation for this whole concept in the Torah of this beautiful woman that you find. You go out into the world, you confront hardships and difficulties, that's war. You need to be above it, you need to raise yourself above the conflict, and then you can win it. And then you can find the spark. The spark is really part of your own soul. It's, it's like your chaya, your, your, the next level of who you are. And it's a joyous event, but it's also mixed with a kind of deep longing and weeping, which is the knowledge that there's still more to go, and there's still more to grow, and more to learn, forever and ever. Because reaching God and nearing God is an infinite journey. So, to sum up this class, we read, we went into the opening of this parasha Kiteitze, and on the literal meaning, on the literal level, he talks about a soldier going out to war, finding a beautiful captive, and the permission to take her, and marry her, but only after one month, in which she mourns uh, for her lost family. And we saw that on this level, it's really the Torah sort of playing and, and giving some room to the evil inclination in order for us to really elevate it eventually. On a deeper level, a mystical level, we, t- we spoke about the idea that it's, this woman represents holy sparks that are scattered throughout life throughout the world and that we need to take them and elevate them which means that we need to uh, sort of disconnect them detach them from their original context and we have to put them place them within a, a new context of holiness of holy living and that's a kind of process of conversion we have to do for everything we encounter in the world we have to think about it intellectually and emotionally and behaviorally and, and see how we can convert it and, and, and make it part and parcel of our serving of God, of our spiritual life. And finally, the final level was the Hasidic psychological level, which really is talking about each encounter, each difficulty, is a way of, of reconnecting with your higher self, which goes along with the feeling that there's even more future higher selves waiting ahead. And this is the joy and weeping that are that are mixed together in this in this experience. So this is our meditation upon the opening of this week's parasha Kitetze. Thank you. Hi, if you enjoyed this class, please click the like button and subscribe to the channel. On YouTube, also make sure to click the bell icon. To keep the classes flowing and free of charge, please consider supporting us on Patreon, an amazing platform for supporting independent creators. You're also welcome to join our weekly live Zoom class every Sunday evening, Israel time. You can find all the links in the description below. Thank you very much, keep healthy, and see you soon.